And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Matt Barrows is at the Minneapolis airport. He was just down at his for the 49ers against the Vikings. Matt, how's it going out there in the land of how many lakes do they have out there? 11,000, 10,000, <laughs> a, a lot of thousands of lakes. Uh, well, how's, I, I think it's, how's it going? I think it's 10,000. Uh, it's going well. Um, there were a couple of lakes by the by the Vikings facility, and I got to tell you, that's the first thing that jumped out from these joint practices the vikings have a very sweet setup in egan minnesota they uh they bought out the old northwest airlines uh sort of uh, headquarters area so there's a lot of land and um as you know david the, the 49ers practice on a pair of uh grass fields that aren't even 100 yards long this place had uh four fields it had a hotel it had a a museum, all sorts of uh, you know, film areas for everybody. So it was a pretty sweet setup out there. That's awesome. That's uh, it. Didn't look like it was too hot either. It looked like the temperature was what what it should be around this time of the year. I saw it, it peaked at 80 or so. So it looked like it was decently comfortable for a good football practice. And obviously, you don't want to go there too much later in the year because it's going to get really cold. But uh, the, the setup looked cool. The weather looked good. And the 49ers put in uh, two good days of work. It, it doesn't appear there are any major injuries. I guess you could always knock on wood if, if you call the 49ers. But uh, they, it, Trey Sermon seemed to hobble off the practice field today based on one of the videos that I saw. But outside of that... Uh, you know, nothing major reported, and now they can go into that preseason game on Saturday, supposedly resting a lot of their frontliners, right? Because they're in the midst of these three games in 13 days, and this is the the second one. Then they have the dress rehearsal on Thursday, so there's such a small time frame in between games two and games three, Matt, that it, it seems to me that the 49ers will take it easy and, and give some of the bubble guys a shot to shine on Saturday. I think so. I mean, on uh, on Wednesday, uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan sort of hedged and said, well, the plan is for Trey Lance and the starters not to play on Saturday, but we'll see how the next two days go. Uh, my sense is that they went as planned. Uh, Trey Lance got a lot of snaps. Um, he didn't look fantastic. He didn't look bad. Um, I would I would put it at a, at a B, B plus even. 13 of 19 today um, with one pick. Uh, but he just looked looked the part. He, he's looking more and more comfortable as training camp goes on. So I have to assume that uh, Shanahan liked what he saw. Um, he's not going to put Nick Bose out there. He's not going to put Trent Williams out there. So uh, my only question is, um, you know, you you have this offensive line. Mike McGlinchey is definitely not going to play. Uh, that lacks experience. So I don't know whether even if Trey Lance doesn't play, whether Aaron Banks at left guard, Jake Brendel at center, Spencer Burford at right guard, uh, Colton McKivitz at right tackle. Um, I, I still think those guys could probably stand to get at least a, a series or two just because snaps are so 
uh, in demand for, for that group. So um, it may be a, a situation where Nate Sudfeld is a starter, but we do see some week one starters, uh, especially along the offensive line. All right, let's take it to our first question. By the way, those of you who are listening, you can queue up for a question using your app. And we have Peter B. waiting right now. Peter, what's going on? Uh, good uh, well, it's a good morning from Sydney, Australia, uh, Matt and nice. David. Uh, thank you for this. My my question is uh, your opinion on um, the concerns of the O line uh, going into this season. Well, it's there. It's a concern. I mean, uh, that that whole middle of the line is a concern. Uh, you're going from uh, a couple of uh, Pro Bowl caliber players in Lake and Tomlinson and Alex Mack to a couple of unknowns in. Um, and uh, uh, Jake Brendel and uh, the, the two guards. So, you know, anytime you have that situation, it's, uh, it's a question mark. You know, the, the one positive that I can say in that is that these guys have taken a lot of snaps this summer. So, um, you know, they've been playing together. Uh, Aaron Banks has been playing next to Trent Williams. Jake Brendel is now getting all of the snaps at center because Daniel Punskill is out with a with a hamstring strain. Um, and then the other, you know, positive I can say is that Spencer Burford has has not been intimidated by the challenge. Um, he has kind of taken it uh, by the horns and has uh, looked as good as you can expect from a fourth round rookie there. So I think the the future, especially at that right guard spot. Is, is pretty bright. Um, you know, the question is just how many um, sort of uh, hiccups we're going to expect uh, from that line early in the season. And then, you know, you got hiccups in front of a quarterback who also is inexperienced. So it's, it's a bit of a double whammy uh, at those crucial spots. The 49ers seem to be uh, sort of uh, ready for it, or at least uh, willing to kind of suffer the the slings and arrows of, uh, of some uh, early season jitters uh, and, uh, and hopefully get things going from the second half of the season onward. Well, let's just look at how they did in their first try. And I thought that Aaron Banks and Jake Brendel were both very good against the Green Bay Packers in week one of the preseason. So that's significant to me. Uh, they didn't give up a single pressure, either of those guys. So Banks was good in pass protection. Brendel did a good job in pass protection. Brendel's really athletic, so he can execute the run blocks. That's not a worry with him. It, it's more about Kenny Anker against the pass when they start putting some of those big one techniques or you know even three techniques against them at the center position because you know the NFC West is going to mix it up against the 49ers. Right guard was a little bit of a different story. I think that... Uh, you know, we saw Spencer Burford effective in the run game, but he gave up five pressures in the past game. Now, when you put on the tape, it's not as bad as somebody like PFF might make it seem. I think PFF had like a 2.4 grade for Burford in pass blocking, <laughs> which is almost impossibly bad. But, uh, you know, you would think that he would just be a turnstile in every down, and, and that wasn't the case. He got beat, yes, when Trey had a slide on that one play early. That was Burford's pressure. It wasn't a great rep, uh, but, you know, when he got beat later on the other pressures that, that, that he gave up, that PFF charged him for, he, he fought. It wasn't like he was just defeated and the, the defender went straight to the quarterback. He kept on fighting, and they weren't clean beats. 
And, you know, Kyle Shanahan has said it himself. You don't know what an offensive lineman really has until he gets his ass kicked. And then you turn around and see how he responds from getting his ass kicked. And if that was Spencer Burford getting his ass kicked, that's a good sign for the 49ers because he didn't get his ass kicked that bad, right? And uh, I thought he continued fighting throughout some of that contact. So the key is going to be the trajectory for Spencer Burford. You know there's going to be growing pains at the start. I think it was a big, big time arrow up that Aaron Banks and, and Jake Brendel both look solid. And at that right tackle spot, if McGlinchey's not available, Colton McKivitt step up. He's going to have to step up. They're going to have to have depth this season, regardless of whether or not McGlinchey's ready uh, fully, 100% full go week one right now, dealing with some of those knee issues. So O-line depth is going to be important regardless, and the 49ers are going to have to prove that they have it. Our second question is, Daniel C. Daniel, what's going on? Oh, how's it going, guys? Hey, Daniel. Doing great. Hey. So, with Hoka being picked up by the Cardinals, um, did you guys have any expectations of another team picking him up? And with him being what he is, most likely not going to make the 53-man roster for him. Do you think they're doing the old Seahawks thing of trying to get him for information and then cut him from there? Thanks. Well, I just talked to Hoka about five minutes ago and he said that it's a traditional H-back position that they have him at for the Cardinals. And I was wondering when Cliff Kingsbury picked him up, I'm like, Cliff doesn't use a fullback. That's that's an air raid out there. Uh, so, so, so I knew, I, I asked him, are you going to be playing tight end? What are you going to be doing over there? And it's going to be kind of an, an H-back spot where he's going to be doing, I think, obviously a little bit more in the pass game than, than the 49ers would ask their, their fullbacks to do. Um, at the very least, it's it's two weeks of a paycheck for Josh Hokett, the per diem for, for training camp or the preseason. And, yes, a little bit of intel from uh, for the Cardinals from the 49ers. But the, the issue he's going to run into is uh, are they going to be able to fit him onto the 53-man roster once they tear that down? And if they can't, then I do know for a fact that the 49ers are interested in bringing Josh Hokett back to their practice squad once those rosters are cut down. So... And that would just kind of be like a double-cross situation, right, where the 49ers would get some intel on the Cardinals when they get him back there. And they're like, oh, hey, Josh, welcome. Welcome back to the practice squad. We know that you like playing with Kyle Juszczyk. We know you like that fullback position better than the H-back position they had in Arizona. So sign with our practice squad instead of theirs. So it's going to be funny how that maneuvers around because uh, the only way that he wouldn't be protected from coming back to the 49ers practice squad is if the Cardinals kept him on their 53-man roster. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, it's hard to see an air raid team keeping a, a really a traditional fullback as much as anybody in this league uh, on their uh, 53-man roster throughout the season. So you're right. It, it is like some uh, very uh, smart espionage by the 49ers to, to cut him at this point to allow him to kind of go out and seek information and then hopefully come back. Um, you know, he's been with this team for two seasons now so um he's he's the guy should kyle Juszczyk go down they would bring him off uh, up off of the the practice squad and uh he would be part of that that offense and, and we know david that this is going to be very much a uh, a running team this year maybe even more so than previous years because they do have the inexperienced quarterback and um you know they need to protect him and uh, it just makes a lot of sense that this is a, uh, a very, very much a, almost a traditional throwback team in terms of its uh, run-pass ratio. Now they're gonna they're gonna run in a lot of different creative ways, and, and we've been seeing that e- even in these uh, joint practices against the Vikings. 
but um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what the uh, alternative would be if Hokit is on another team and Kyle Juszczyk uh, goes down. Um, obviously, Ross Dwelly did that back in 2019. Um, no guarantee that Ross Dwelly is on this 53-man roster for the 49ers, uh, although I'm sure they could bring him uh, off the, the practice squad. My point is that they, they don't really have anybody else um, like that. Charlie Warner would probably be the, uh, the best one to sort of fill in at that, uh, at that fullback spot. All right, let's go to Joe. Joe, how's it going? Uh, hey, guys. Good to talk to you, Dave and Matt. Uh, I was curious about Kinlaw and how much you're going to be able to use him. Is he going to be like a, an every-down um, defensive lineman, or is he? Uh, are we going to have like a minute restriction on him, do you think? Uh, I saw him pancake that guy at practice the other day, and I got super excited for him. Yeah, he ran yeah. over Jesse Davis the other day, the left guard for Minnesota. Matt, Matt, what do you think? I think the 49ers are so deep that, uh, you know, it's tough to find an every-down defensive lineman beyond Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead just because they're going to be trying to operate in waves. But, but what's your take on that? I mean, I feel like he's more capable of being an, an every-down defensive lineman than he's ever been just because he's, um, you know, uh, slimmed down quite a bit, or at least, at least it's leaner. Um, and it's quicker and then you know so you think that his pass rush ability is going to improve um, I agree with David and that's just not how this uh, this team is built um, that's that's the reason why they were so effective today uh, against uh, Minnesota is that it was just wave after wave of really quality players uh, going against the Vikings so you know even once the the Vikings all uh, first string offensive line was out it was still a, uh, a sort of a, a high-caliber defensive line going against them, uh, against the backups, and it was uh, quite effective. Um, those, those guys were on their heels all game. But um, so um, I think it, uh, you know, I, I think everybody is really optimistic about Javon Kinlaw, especially Javon Kinlaw. I mean, he just, he's got a, a confidence about him that uh, he probably didn't have, and in previous years because his um, his knee was bothering him so much. So uh, I think uh, arrows up on Javon Kinlaw. Um, this, this should be the best season of his career so far. And, you know, one of the really uh, big pieces of good news for the 49ers is they don't need him to be a big sack guy. Anything that he gets sack-wise, I think, is icing on the cake. They need him to use that massive frame, push guys back, command some double teams. But they have a lot of sack guys in the D-line room. And, you know, just a couple sacks per year, I feel, would, would do the trick if, if, if everybody else is producing the way they should. They obviously deliver so much pressure off the edge, so the interior positions are there to, to set it up. And if he could be clogging that run, stuffing the run, not allowing teams to do what somebody like, like Detroit did against them in week one last year with a bunch of those gash runs in the first half, if you could stop that, and basically what you're doing is you're earning the right to rush the passer on the outside. You're setting up long down and distances for opposing offenses, and then you could pin your own ears back by the defensive line. So I think first and foremost, Kinlaw's duty is to set a strong backbone for the wide nine. It's a tough, tough defensive tackle position to play because those linemen are so elongated up along the front that you have to be really athletic as a defensive tackle. You have to take up a lot of space while you're also gobbling up the double teams and you can't let uh, those big gaps in there on first and ten on, on those run situations that's not a job that's going to get a whole lot of glory but it's going to take a really good defensive tackle and the 49ers hope that Kinlaw could be just that. Alright, let's go to Lewis. How's it going, Lewis? 
Hey guys, how are you? Um, thanks for taking my, uh, I don't know, it's not a call, but whatever this is. <laughs> um, hey David, I know you were joking last night on your video about the offensive line and how you <laughs> seem to get fewer viewers, but I'm really interested in Lakin Tomlinson leaving and Aaron Banks. Um, Banks didn't play much last year, and when he did, he was sort of criticized for being a second-round draft pick and just not playing up to par. What do you see from Banks this season that makes you think that he could uh, you know, be that guy that replaces uh, Lakin? Well, yeah, thanks for the question. It's a good one. I, I think the offensive line always should be talked about more. And, you know, in terms of Aaron Banks, he, he was a second-round pick for a reason because he was big and he could move. Uh, you don't normally see – I mean, he was pre-38 at the Senior Bowl uh, in 2021 heading up into the draft, yet he could still move. And the 49ers said, wow, but well, we see some multiple play here. You don't normally see that kind of size-speed combination. You go back to, like, his high school basketball tape uh, from the East Bay. He grew up over there in um, – uh, El Cerrito on, on the East Bay, and he, he, he wasn't just a big stiff in, in high school basketball. Actually, had good footwork. So, I mean, that's the hope with Aaron Banks is that you get an outside zone capable center at a size that's capable of really anchoring down in pass protection much more effectively than, than previous 49ers guards who had been rather light under Kyle Shanahan. So, I mean, it, it, that's not like Banks is a finished product, though, coming out of college. He still had to rework his body. He still had to cut some weight, but he didn't really cut all that much. He's at about 325 right now. So that's bigger than the typical Shanahan guard. I think he looks like he's in good shape, Matt, and uh, I think the 49ers' hope is that they can have the best of both worlds with Aaron Banks. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems that pass protection has been the, the, the big missing piece with him. And, and even this year, uh, you see it in the one-on-one passing drills. He, he wasn't anchoring for some reason uh, as well as he could. I don't know whether he was... Um, you know, apprehensive about uh, quickness. He, he seemed to get beat with quickness a lot last year as a rookie. Uh, and then this year, he was just being driven backwards. Um, you know, all of those guys have gotten better, certainly at that drill, as, uh, as the uh, training camp has gone on, and, and he's one of them. But uh, it, it just kind of shows you that he's still finding his feet, uh, if you will, when it comes to pass protection. And that's why... You know, these joint practices, all the snaps that he's getting. He's gotten all of the reps at left guard this year. Um, I wonder whether he's going to start in this game. I think he should. Um, I don't don't know if it's going to be too many reps in a row if he starts this game and then uh, starts uh, in Houston on the 25th in the preseason finale. But point being, this is just a guy, this is just a line, really, that needs all the snaps that it can get. Um, because, as David noted, the, the tools are there. Um, he should be good at, uh, at all of it at some point. They just need to try to accelerate that learning curve. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, when you look at the tools up front, you, you could definitely see where the 49ers are aiming with this offensive line, well, what they envision. But the, the question is, how quickly will it be able to attain that potential? That's that That's the big thing. And Right now, you know, let's let's shift this back to Trey Lance, Matt, because 
he, he did have a higher escapability score last year than Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously in a smaller sample size. I think that's something the 49ers obviously expect from Trey Lance, right? They drafted a mobile quarterback for a reason because they said, okay, this guy's going to be a little bit more escapable, especially post-ACL tear Garoppolo. So I think part of their formula here is, okay, there might be some pressure, but we believe that, that Trey, you know, if there's X amount of percentage higher pressure than there was in the past with Lakin Tomlinson and Alex Mack there, you know, we believe that, that Trey Lance will have X percentage amount of uh, increase in escapability over Jimmy Garoppolo to be able to make up for that. Now, uh, you know, one thing, though, is you can't really escape from pressure right up the gut. There, there is no quarterback who could escape from immediate A-gap pressure. We saw this with Mahomes in the Super Bowl uh, against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple years back. It was just, it was hopeless. They scored nine points against Tampa Bay in that game because there was pressure coming from everywhere. So uh, one thing that really encouraged me about Trey Lance in week one of the preseason against the Green Bay Packers was the touchdown to Danny Gray. There wasn't great pass protection there by the tackles. Both tackles got backed up uh you know McKivitz at left tackle and Justin School right tackle especially he got beat by 55 there against the Packers and because of that Trey didn't you know have all day to throw but he effectively stepped up in the pocket and he uncorked one even though that the the edges were collapsing on him but there are two keys to that the interior line held up on the play so Banks held up on the play Brendel held up on the play Spencer Burford held up on the play. That doesn't happen. The 76-yard touchdown of the interior linemen fold the same way that the tackles, McKivitz, and School did. And two, Danny Gray is so fast that Trey was able to release that ball 2.5 seconds after the snap. Most deep passes take three or more. They got that off in 2.5. So Danny Gray essentially turned uh, suspect pass protection from the tackles into adequate pass protection. And to me, that might be the secret weapon, Matt. They've got enough of a speed threat out there to, you know, not necessarily run the deep pass each time, but to, to stretch the defense out, to allow Trey to get the ball out a little bit quicker, create a softer secondary. I think that, you know, that, that was a great example, that touchdown to Danny Gray. I think that might be the 49ers formula to get around the fact that this offensive line will suffer some growing pain. Throw to the fast guy. That was uh, Trey Lance's quote <laughs> uh, when it came to that play. And uh, it, it, was, it was quite a feat by Danny Gray because the uh, – the cornerback uh, was playing off coverage. I mean, the guy was 12 yards off the line of scrimmage, and Danny Gray was past him uh, after after a second and a half. It seemed like so. Um, yeah, that that's uh, that's almost an obvious throw when you see a mismatch like that out there. Um, and there was a nice one uh, from from Lance to, to Gray and seven on seven drills here in uh, in Minnesota on on Wednesday. Uh, perfectly thrown ball. Uh, it seems like uh, Trey Lance is, is starting to, to find his his rhythm with the speedster, and, and it seems like he's tr- starting to find his rhythm with number 19 as well. I thought that was sort of one of the themes of uh, these joint practices. He and, and Debo Samuel um, had a real connection going um, um, to the point where, you know, uh, I, I think that they've erased or mostly erased whatever deficit they had given uh, Debo's uh, little hold-in that he, he began camp with. Um, when, when Trey Lance was in trouble, he looked to one of two guys. It was uh, Debo Samuel and then George Kittle. So, um, and, and we already saw his rapport with Brandon Ayuk throughout the, the early part of training camp. 
So, um, you know, that, that to me is, is a big deal. I mean, um, he's got three weapons that he's now getting more and more comfortable with. He's good on the, on the broken plays. He's good in the, the move the ball stuff. Uh, David, you know well the, the stats from this summer. He's been much better, much more accurate, um, much more dangerous in those scenarios than he has the scripted plays. So, uh, I think that all bodes well for, for the, this season and, you know, uh, you, you don't want the, the line to collapse ever, of course. Um, but that's going to happen. Uh, and, and you've got a guy that is showing uh, more and more that, that he can deal with it. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be Patrick Mahomes level. Um, I don't think it will ever be that level. But it's going to be at a better level than they had under Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, you know, we didn't even mention this because I don't think that we're quite sure how the 49ers going to play it because the preseason schedule is different this year. But we may be done with training camp. Last year, training camp was over with the final practice against the Chargers because last year the 49ers entered after the Chargers Week 2 preseason game. They entered Week 3, which was the dress rehearsal, and it was a Sunday game against the Raiders. So they actually played that week as if it were a normal week, the, you know, not just the Sunday was dress rehearsal. The, the week leading up to it uh, was, was normal practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So uh, now this time it's different though, because they play the Texans on Thursday. So it's unclear if they're going to run a standard dress rehearsal week with the game being a Thursday game. Um, I suppose it is possible, but maybe the 49ers will kind of do still go with the camp style this week, especially since there's such a long layoff in between the Thursday game against the Texans and the season opener against the Bears, something like 17 days. So maybe they'll still be in training camp mode. But the reason I bring that up is uh, because, yes, we, we do track training camp stats and they're not advanced stats or anything. It's kind of simple completion rate with notes and stuff. But I think you could glean some stuff from that if you properly contextualize it and, you know, look at the different splits. And what thing that really stood out to, to me this year, Matt, was that Trey last year and moved the ball, which is the portion of practice that's like a game. It's scrimmage or actually getting plays um, and calling plays based on down and distance. You're adapting as you go and you have to move the chains. Last year, Trey Lance completed only 48% of his passes and moved the ball. And that was very correlated with a lack of efficiency and moved the ball. They, the offense against the second team, I should add, wasn't very efficient with Trey Lance in his rookie season during training camp in those situations. This season, he was at a good 67% during move the ball. He was, he was churning along, and the offense was much more efficient. And this was against the 49ers' first-team defense and, of course, against uh, the first-team defense of the Minnesota Vikings here over the past two days. So uh, I'm no you know, expert on, on these statistics, but 48% to, 70, uh, to 67%, that, that's a sizable jump, in my opinion. And, you know, the main thing is, Matt, that I think it has reflected the eye test, right? Trey Lance seems way more comfortable. He actually seems like he knows what's going on. He was he had the deer in the headlights going last year during move the ball. Kyle Shanahan got very upset a couple times at a couple situational things that he just let go right over his head. It was it was moving too fast for him. And you would expect it to based on his lack of experience last year. But to me, he looks like he's in charge of the offense and he's taken major strides here in 2022. Yeah, last year he was better in the scripted uh, portion of the practice than he was during move the ball. And, and this year it's uh, totally uh, uh, reversed. And, and I think that the, the answer is that um, in the scripted portions last year as a rookie, he was getting a lot of help. 
Uh, he had Shanahan in his ear, uh, you know, telling him where to go. Um, you know, Shanahan knew what the defense was doing. I was told that, you know, that that can be manipulated pretty easily by a coaching staff, especially by a savvy offensive coach like Shanahan. So, I mean, he was coming in. He was a, a an inexperienced rookie, and um, you know, he, he needed help. He need and they were trying to build his confidence at that point uh, as well. So, I think that's what you saw. Remember the first 10 days of training camp? He came out on fire. Um, he looked like uh, the second coming of Steve Young out there, and then all of a sudden he wasn't midway through training camp. And I think that's what happened. I, I, I think the, uh, the the water wings came off, if you will, and uh, he had to swim by himself, and, and he struggled at first. And I think that's also exactly why Shanahan was so reluctant to play him uh, a lot uh, until he was forced to when... when uh, when Garoppolo hurt his calf early in the season. Um, but, you know, back to the, the main point is that he looks far more um, comfortable in the water, if you will, now. Uh, and you saw that in these practices here in Minnesota. He was really good in the move the ball period. Um, like I said, uh, he he knew who to look for. Um, and, and not just, you know, I'm always going to look for, for Debo. He knew... Um, you know, which of those guys was going to be in the right place in those moments. And, and that's exactly what Shanahan's looking for. Uh, so, uh, I mean, Shanahan's going to be very um, hesitant with his praise um, or sparse with his praise. But I, I think he has to have liked what he's seen from Lance in these last, I don't know, five or six practices. Yeah, we're coming up on the year anniversary of, of that dress rehearsal week when the 49ers started doing all that quarterback shuffling <laughs> going between Garoppolo and Lance. And, you know, this it was really born in practice, Matt, uh, the practice that's going to be next week at, you know, a year prior um, before that Raiders game. And then, you know, we were watching it at practice and they were really working, spending time figuring out the play clock on the quarterback rotation. And then they used it in the game at the start of that Raiders game and it worked really well. And of course, they also used it in the first touchdown drive of the season in, in week one. But it turns out, you know, people have their theories. Kyle Shanahan's had his explanation, uh, you know, that, that he didn't like the, the, the rhythm uh, that he lost play calling wise. But I, I think, to be honest, in retrospect, now that we know more about Trey Lance and uh, his injury against the Raiders, you know, the 49ers obviously hid that and downplayed it, the chip finger. You know, they made it sound like it was only a couple week thing and it ended up being like almost a full season thing. Um, how different would that offense have looked last year, do you think, if, if Trey Lance didn't get hurt against the Raiders in, in week three of the preseason? Because looking back on it, Matt, it was substantial, the work that the 49ers were putting in in practice to, um, you know, complement Jimmy Garoppolo with Trey Lance. They, they were running to two QBs last year, and you can't tell me that, that they were doing it that aggressively just to – I mean, part of the benefit was obviously to get the Detroit Lions thinking in week one, but um, – they were also that they would have been burning a lot of practice time just to confuse an inferior team. Um, I, I do think that Kyle Shanahan was was thinking a little bit more ambitiously with Trey Lance last year until he did break his finger against the Raiders. Well, yeah, that's true. But then again, I, I forget how many snaps he got in Detroit, uh, but he did get a handful, and they didn't seem all the worse for the wear. Uh, and that was the obviously the closest game to that uh, that that preseason finale last year. Um, 
Well, one day we'll find out. Maybe when, when Trey Lance, uh, you know, is league MVP, Shanahan will do a, a retrospective of the 2021 off season, and we can really learn what was going on behind the scenes. Um, I agree with you, though. Uh, he was more hurt than anybody let on um, to the point where he couldn't even straighten out that finger, and that led to uh, an alteration of his throwing style, and that led to arm fatigue. Uh, it was it was one thing after another. I mean, that was that was the big worry about Trey Lance coming out of his rookie season. It wasn't oh, is uh, you know, it, 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 does he have the uh, capacity to be a great quarterback? Can he be a great leader? Um, the big worry was that this guy didn't wasn't able to stay healthy through his rookie season. It was one thing after another, which made for a very choppy uh, learning curve in year one. And so that was their biggest worry. And I think I don't I don't want to say that's behind them now, uh, but he's taken a lot more snaps than he did last year already. Um, you know, he's about to go through two preseason games without being hurt, assuming that he doesn't play in this this one against the Vikings. Um, so I, I think they, they were hoping last year or in January that th- that was a fluke. And uh, it, I think it probably is. It's just one bad luck thing after another. Um, lots of quarterbacks hit their, their hands on uh, opposing helmets. Uh, and Trey Lance happened to have it in the in the third season games. But uh, my sense is that he's not injury prone and that uh, he's exactly what they thought he was going to be. Well, that's that's why Kyle Shanahan loves the Guardian caps they're wearing at training camp. He didn't mention anything about concussions when somebody asked him about the, the extra pads that the linemen are having to wear. He said, I, this is protecting my quarterback's fingers because he could smash them on a helmet just like Trey did last year against the Raiders, right? There's just, you know, hands flying around, helmets flying around. So now everybody's got a pillow on their head that's that's rushing the passer. And who knows, maybe that did spare the quarter, the 49ers during this preseason because Trey Lance was pressured a lot. Um, you know, the questions that we got about the offensive line over the course of this show, they are all legitimate. That's something that, you know, I, in my opinion, I've really been impressed with, with the development of Trey Lance, not only from year one to year two, but throughout the course of training camp this year. I think he's weathered the ups and the downs. And to me, you know, a lot of quarterbacking is – just seeing how much of a general that guy is out there. And I, I'm getting a good sense of leadership from Trey Lance. If, you know, if I'm appraising the 49ers, Trey Lance is not one of the positions I'm all that, that worried about. I, I think he's going to be at an acceptable floor for the 49ers this year if he gets decent pass protection. That's my one big qualifier. And that, that's why I continue pointing at the offensive line because that's the only position group that I see you know, that has – tangible weakness right um as far as both frontline talent and depth beyond that but matt why, why don't we talk a little bit to finish this up about the 49ers defense because i you know based on what i read they really showed out in minnesota uh with their front seven obviously they were playing a lot of um backup young defensive backs with with injuries on on in the secondary so it, it appeared that justin jefferson and adam Thielen had theirs but uh, Nick Bosa seemed to, to help himself to, to more of a serving than anybody else in Minnesota. Some, some reports were saying six sacks for Nick uh, on the second day of practice on Thursday. Um, I saw some videos that Vikings kept on trying to block him with a tight end, which didn't make any sense to me. But even when they put Christian Derrissaw uh, against Nick Bosa, it, it didn't end up really well. I mean, he, he was just taking over and 
Um, this all kind of checks out with uh, some of the conversations I've had. You know, when I interviewed Charles Amenahu last week, he, he said, you know, Nick had 15 and a half stacks coming off the ACL. He's going to get 20 this year. Like everybody's talking about 20 sacks for Nick Bosa, and that might seem like a preposterous number to predict. But then you watch some of these practices, and, and he's, he literally is unblockable. So um, was it the same from your vantage point today? It, it, it was Bosa, um, mostly Bosa. It was Ebucom. It was uh, Kamoko Ture. Um, Drake, uh, Drake Jackson had a nice pass rush where he knocked the ball out of Sean Mannion's hand. It was just, like I said, it was wave after wave of guys, and especially wave after wave of, of quality defensive ends. I thought that that was, uh, that they, they really showed up. And I, and I think it really it was... Uh, Fred Warner kind of setting the tone. I mean, Warner is uh, now famous for uh, getting under the skin of Brandon Ayuk and the 49ers offense early in camp. He, he gave the, the Vikings the same rendition uh, today. I mean, uh, that was sort of their, their mission, is to kind of take things a little bit beyond the line, get under their skin, and, and really kind of uh, assert themselves, become... The, the, the dominant force out there and, and they were not on, on Wednesday and I think that probably bothered Fred Warner I, I wonder whether he was curious about this team whether if he was able to push the right buttons they could kind of lift their game up against Justin Jefferson against Adam Thielen without Charvarius Ward without Jimmy Ward without Emmanuel Mosley could, could they kind of win the day against a, a pretty talented team veteran quarterback uh, two excellent wide receivers and a, and a really good running back in Delphin Cook, and, and they did. Uh, wasn't wasn't a shutout. Um, Jefferson uh, might be one of the the, the three best uh, wide receivers in the league right now, and uh, he had a couple of nice uh, long receptions. But um, I think if you tallied it up, the the 49ers would have won. Um, you know that matchup on on that field. So I, I think that's. Uh, you know, people have been, I, I've been wondering whether we've been carrying this so the 49ers have the greatest defense we've seen in years and years uh, too far. But, boy, uh, I think Fred Warner took it out for a test drive today and uh, like what he saw. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, and I think that early in camp, we saw this defense fully healthy. And we talk about the rush fueling the coverage. I think the 49ers really started to get the benefit this year of the, the coverage, you know, symbiotically fueling the rush. And, you know, well, with Jimmy Ward out, with Charvarius Ward out, with Emmanuel Mosley just now working back, uh, you know, not in the team stuff uh, yet, that, that that's, that's going to be uh, something that the 49ers probably won't have, right? You're probably going to be back to the old formula of relying predominantly on the pass rush again. But the good news is that it's not just the pass rush for the 49ers. It's the entire front seven. And there was a play today, you know, we, we, the last time we talked to, to all of you, uh, you know, on, on one of these Q&As, 49ers still had Darquez Denard, still had that nickelback, the veteran nickelback. Well, since then, they've obviously um, beaten the Packers in the preseason, and they, you know, did so behind – two interceptions from the, from the rookie, Samuel Womack. 
And, you know, I think that was a light bulb kind of moment because we, you know, we talked about it the whole time. Denard's here for a year, at least, or, or at most a year for the 49ers because they want Samuel Womack to be the, the, the long-term plan. And I think that two things sped up that plan. One, Womack just having a hell of a week of practice last week and then having a hell of a game with those two interceptions. But two, Quantrez Knight, another rookie, really, really, you know, bringing his A game. And the 49ers were in a position where it wasn't just like, oh, boy, Womack, you know, is is ascending and, and he needs to start taking first-team reps over Denard. But it was also uh, Quantrez Knight needs needs more time to play. And Denard's still on this roster. We, uh, we, you know, we can't give it to him. So both of these young guys, Matt, have taken the next step. Uh, for the 49ers, and I had I had to notice on Thursday that there was a play where Talano Hufanga lined up in that shark blitz spot close to the line of scrimmage, and he had an effective rush for a tackle for a loss. So uh, you could see what the 49ers' plan is at Nickelback. They like Womack. I think they like Quantrez Knight as kind of even a more developmental option, and they love Talano Hufanga to line up close to the line of scrimmage too. Uh, replicate what K1 Williams once brought this team as far as uh, blitzing from that slot position. Yeah, I talked to Adam Peters uh, after the draft about who he liked as far as the undrafted guys, and one of the first guys he brought up was Quantrez Knight. And I thought it was because uh, Peters is a UCLA, UCLA guy yeah. and, and Knight is a UCLA guy, so it was, it was a, a Bruin watching the other Bruins back. But uh, Quantrez Knight has been has been good, and, and Fred Warner talked about him today too, and. The, the word he kept using was intelligence. Um, and, and we saw that just in, in uh, you know, where he played. He, he was playing both safety, because they're light at safety right now with Jimmy Ward and Dante Johnson out, as well as the nickelback spot. And both of those are very, very cerebral spots. You have to know what everybody else is doing. It's just not instincts uh, like some other positions are more of. Um, but uh, Fred's point was that when, when Contra's Knight is out there and he's calling plays, he's calling those plays with conviction. Um, you know, he knows what, what is happening. Um, and uh, that's what they like. I mean, uh, it's all kind of the same theme. Very aggressive, confident team. And uh, Warner, at least, is seeing that out of, out of Contra's Knight. Um, you know, I think the reason they moved on from Denard is that uh, it's it's a bunch of young guys at that position that they see as the future um, at, at nickel and, and maybe some other spots. But um, obviously, Womack is uh, primary among those. Knight is second. And I think they, they really think that Diamador Lenore uh, might be best at nickel when, when all is said and done, or at least um, is, is, a, is an option there. Because he has the same traits as these other guys. Uh, and that's... Um, you know, uh, a real savviness and a real sense of aggression. Uh, Lenore is not afraid to mix it up. Um, he actually almost got into a fight today, one of, the, one of the few fights that we saw in these joint practices. But he, he's got a feistiness about him. Uh, his nickname is uh, the Hyena. So uh, he really embraces that, and uh, it, it suits him. So, I mean, th- those, those three guys are all kind of cut from the same cloth, I think. Um, you have to be a, a, a bit of a, a brawler to be a nickel cornerback. It's almost a linebacker spot, uh, and those three guys have it. Well, with a nickname like the hyena, you have to be a nickelback. The shark, the hyena, I mean, all, just predators, right? You, 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 that's a position where aggression is so important, and you have to be physical in close quarters. And 
Uh, tell you what, Diamondar Lenore had a hell of a pass breakup today against Justin Jefferson in one-on-ones on a very nickel-like play. Jefferson ran a little crosser, and Lenore kept up with him. I saw people on Twitter, oh, that's a hold. It's like, no, stop it. There's no safety help. This is one-on-ones in practice. If you've ever seen one-on-ones at an NFL practice, guys are grabby. They don't throw uh, flags in, in one-on-ones. And this wasn't even a grabby kind of play from Diameter Lenore. This was, I mean, maybe a hand here, a hand there. But he came up and he wanted the point of catch, which is something that his you know, counterpart from that 2021 draft class, Ambry Thomas, hasn't been doing all too often since joining the NFL. And by that, I mean, Lenore was in great position. Ambry Thomas is consistently in good position because he moves really well. He moves really smoothly. But when that ball actually you know, hits the receiver's hands, that's when position okay, is great, but you better do something with it. You better use your muscle. You better use your ball skills to either pick that ball off or knock it away. And we saw Embry Thomas time and time again last year be in good position, but then just get out muscled. And, and I think we've seen it a little bit here in camp, although he's gotten a little bit better. But Lenore, especially with Justin Jefferson, one of the best in the league, you don't expect a, a guy like Lenore, who's not even a starter on the 49ers, to win at the point of catch with Justin Jefferson. But I guess, Matt, we could finish up with this. He wanted the point of catch. Do you know, do you know the one-on-one I'm talking about? I don't know what part of the field you were on, but it was, it was really impressive. Yeah, I, I got a, a video of that, and I put it up on Twitter. Oh, that um, was yours. That was your video, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it looked for all the world like Jefferson had him beat, and he was going to get the catch, and uh, you're right. I mean, it was just a, a really savvy play. And, um, you know, I think Lenore has been the better of the two. I mean, he's always going to be paired with Ambry Thomas because uh, they came in in the same draft class. They're very good friends, helping each other out to, to, to learn the ropes. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, just like last year at this time, Lenore was ahead of Ambry Thomas. And then something happened, and we don't really know why. Um, you know, the coaches never really go into detail about why a guy slipped up or why he failed. But... Um, Lenore went down and Ambry Thomas went up as the season went on and of course it was Ambry Thomas who uh, had a starring role at the end of the season uh, but uh, like I said I mean I think they really like what Lenore is made of um, it's just a, a toughness about him and um, it'll be interesting because we're not going to see Emmanuel Mosley we're not going to see Traverius Ward on, uh, on Saturday in Minnesota I, I wonder who the, the starters will be Today it was Ambry Thomas and Ken Crawley, uh, a veteran who who's come in and, and played really well. And I, I wonder whether he's sort of a nice backstop, certainly somebody that they could dial up if there were ever any real injury issues at that position. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think Thomas needs more snaps. I think they love to see uh, both those guys get a lot of snaps. I, I wonder whether it could be the two second-year guys starting, uh, Lenore and Ambry, uh, in Minnesota. It's going to be a lot of fun to track. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining. Matt's probably got to hop on a plane here pretty soon. So, Matt, thank you as well for doing this from the airport. And we'll talk to you all soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.